Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us and letting us be part of your day. We appreciate it and hope you are safe and well. Coming up on our program today, how is our rural health care system holding up in this pandemic and dealing with COVID-19? We'll get an update from Brock Slayball with the National Rural Health Association. The pork industry certainly... Uh, feeling the hit of COVID-19 and really a crisis situation in many cases, although we are starting to see some of the meatpacking plants reopen and get going again. We're going to talk with Nick Giordano with the National Pork Producers Council about that. And also on today's program, as we continue our planting updates, we'll take a look at what's going on or not going on, maybe more accurate to describe the planting situation in the state of North Dakota. So that's coming up on our program today. Also want to be sure to welcome our latest, newest affiliate, our group of Adams on Agriculture stations. Our family continues to grow as we add News Talk WTIM in Taylorville, Illinois. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Great to have you with us. All right, also great to have with us Todd Neely, reporter for DTN. Todd, good to talk with you again. And let's start off with those um, planting numbers. You know, while Everything else seems to be going so slowly as far as progress. Uh, Something that's moving pretty quickly is planting progress. 67% of the corn planted, 38% of the soybeans planted. Yeah, Mike, you know, it's incredible. Um, You know, last several years, I mean, we've seen seen weather being a big part of the ag story. Um, You know, most of it destroying the spring season for farmers. Uh, you know, flooding, uh, heavy rains, all that stuff that we talked about in the past several years. Uh, and this year, it's a non-story. Um, yeah, corn's a good 11% ahead. Uh, we're just, it's just an amazing picture when you look out there and you see uh, how far states are coming on, on planting. I mean, we've got Iowa's corn uh, way up, 91%, and then Minnesota's at 89%. I mean, those are incredible numbers considering you know, all the all the problems we've seen uh, with farmers getting into the fields in the past several years. So it's highly encouraging. We'll just hope that uh, markets begin to work out like they should as well. Well, some of the conditions for those uh, planted crops haven't been the best since they were planted, but hopefully that's going to be improving here very soon as well. Let's turn our attention now to the biofuels industry, which is in tough shape and is calling out for help, calling for assistance. Yeah, Mike, we had a we had a group of uh, biofuels groups, uh, ag groups yesterday. Uh, they sent a letter out uh, asking USDA and others to uh, to provide more funding, particularly through Congress. Uh, it's kind of an interesting situation because in, in all the all the struggles we've seen, uh, USDA of course stepped up and they're about to send aid to farmers. Uh, biofuels was left out of that, uh, and the, so, so there's a lot of there's a lot of concern right now because we're seeing plants. I mean, we're we're up to about 130 or more plants that have either shut down or have cut back production significantly. Uh, you know, as gasoline demand has fallen, and so uh, they're hoping uh, these groups are hoping that Congress can address this in, in a future aid package coming up. Uh, you know, they, we've seen some plants be able to access some of the loans through the CARE Act, uh, but it's very minimal help, and so. 
uh, I think this next go-around, uh, if biofuels doesn't get some sort of, of bump from Congress, uh, we're going to be looking at a really, really dire situation. And we don't know how long this it's going to take for them to come up with this next package because uh, the political bickering is uh, is really ramped up. So this one will be a, an even tougher one probably for them to come to some sort of agreement on. Yeah, I think so. Um you know, and that's that's the that's the biggest problem through all of this. It seems that uh, in these situations, we we have too much of that back and forth. I mean, we've got real on the ground uh, situations going. I mean, farmers uh, having struggles getting corn to ethanol plants that aren't open, and I mean, it's just a massive uh, problem and concern in rural America. And I think honestly, um, you know, it's probably not the time for for all that back and forth that we've grown accustomed to. Yeah, and both sides do it, and it's hard to, uh, you know, they talk about wanting to do what's best for the country, but it sure seems like a big part of what they're talking yeah. about has to do what's best for their own political parties, and that's what's so frustrating about this. Uh, meanwhile, we are starting to see meat packing plants get back online, maybe not uh, as much as they once were, but at least opening and, and having some production, and that hopefully is going to help uh, ease this backlog. Yeah, I think so. You know, especially when you look up to the north in uh, Sioux Falls, uh, you know, the big Smithfield plant, the pork plant, uh, one of the largest in the country. Um, <clears throat> they're getting back to some uh, some level of, of production. Uh, I think it's probably going to be taking a little bit of time to really ramp it back up, you know, because as, as everybody knows, these plants are still fighting uh, the virus uh, among their employees. And so I think just the fact that some of these plants, I mean, we've got a list of 14 that USDA sent out uh, last week uh, that we're actually starting back up. I mean, that's a good start. But I think, um, you know, as, as time goes on, we're going to have to have those plants ramped way back up because we're seeing, uh, you know, farmers out there, hog farmers in particular, are struggling, you know, having to euthanize animals. And uh, it's just a really scary situation. I think, though, that just seeing some level of return of these plants is, is a definite uh, relief. Yeah, and there are calls for some uh, federal help in dealing with that uh, euthanization of some of those animals. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, there's a lot of talk and you know, there's calls in Congress to uh, to figure out a way, uh, you know, to get this done. You know, USDA doesn't typically indemnify uh, the animals, you know, with, especially when it comes to having to kill animals. And so um, you would think at some point uh, somebody in USDA could make some sort of an executive decision there and uh, try to get that as part of, of what they cover. I mean, I think that's, you know, we're seeing large numbers of animals being euthanized, and it's definitely uh, it's definitely a time for, you know, everyone to kind of step up. You know, Todd, I, I, this is happening in Illinois. I know it's happening in other states as well. Just a, a reminder or a realization of how this summer is going to look different when we hear about county fairs canceling, state FFA conventions having to go to virtual conventions, it's just going to be so much different this summer. Yeah, it really is. You know, uh, a lot of the things that we take for granted, uh, when you see those cancel, it's really kind of, uh, it kind of makes you a bit sentimental realizing how good we've got it. Um, and I think, you know, especially in rural America, this time of the year is a really exciting time for a lot of people with you know, getting out and planning and, and doing all those things, activities that kids do and, and so on. And to see some of that limited is really kind of a wake-up call. And I think, uh, you know, once we get past all this, I think a lot of people 
are uh, really going to look back and say, you know, we do have it good. And, you know, I think a lot of people understand that, but when these kinds of things happen, it really does, uh, it really does uh, shock you awake. Yeah, little league games, soccer games, those all being canceled, yeah. postponed as well. So it's a different world for sure. All right. Good to talk with you, Todd. Take care. All right. You too, Mike. Thank you. DTN reporter Todd Neely. Up next, we take a look at an update how the rural health care system is holding up uh, during uh, this uh, crisis and what needs do they still have as we continue to fight uh, the coronavirus. We'll talk with the National Rural Health Association up next on AOA. This is a call for all farmers to come to the aid of their beans. Liberty Herbicide can now be applied on your Enlist E3 soybeans. Superior weed control, greater application flexibility, no known resistance in U.S. row crops. Liberty Herbicide battles tough weeds so your beans can live free and grow healthy. Talk to your BASF rep to learn more. Always read and follow label directions. Liberty is a registered trademark of BASF. Enlist E3 is a trademark of Dow AgroSciences. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, we continue to look at the situation uh, for our rural health care system dealing with COVID-19. Glad to have back with us Brock Slaybaugh, Senior Vice President, Member Services for the National Rural Health Association. Brock, thanks for joining us. Uh, can you get a, give us kind of an update, an overview of how rural hospitals are are faring right now with COVID-19? Well, thank you, Mike, for the invitation to be here today. It's uh it's uh, continuing to be uh, good news, bad news. Uh, the good news is that we've been, uh, uh, most uh, all of our rural hospitals by now have received the rural targeted allocation of money from the uh, CARES 3.0 Act that was passed in late March. And uh, uh, that money has been distributed. It's been a real boost, I think, uh, in terms of the operations for many of these uh, facilities. Uh, just a reminder, um, because of the uh, CMS, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services uh, direction to shut down elective and non-emergence uh, services, uh, it was a scene that it had to be uh, that, that the revenue loss to these hospitals was just extraordinary. So this is going to be helping to uh, uh, cover up some of the gaps in revenue that these hospitals had, had, have experienced since uh, the start of, of this COVID-19 uh, pandemic. Now, I know some hospitals have started uh, or getting ready to start allowing elective surgeries again. That's correct, uh, Mike. The, we've seen around the country a lot of um, facilities in rural communities uh, begin to uh, slowly reopen their services. And uh, this is, of course, uh, consistent with CDC, Centers for Disease Control, and CMS policy. Uh, of course, there's a couple of things they have to uh, monitor. The first is they have to have a manageable uh, case rate of COVID-19 infection in their community, and they have to be able to demonstrate and, and uh, have correct and, and adequate uh, personal protective equipment, uh, not only for uh, the patients uh, in their care, but for the healthcare workers that are going to be tending to them. What about the equipment? Are there still shortages? 
Uh, Mike, there are shortages still. We, we're seeing uh, outages of uh, personal protective equipment, uh, particularly uh, of the last couple of weeks, uh, noting the shortage of, of sterile gowns, which are required, of course, for uh, taking care of patients, uh, particularly in, in surgical settings, um, and in terms of protecting the employee from getting uh, uh, infectious particulates onto the body, so uh, onto clothes, the, the street clothes of a, of a worker, healthcare worker. So we've been working with uh, Project um, Cure uh, and um, other uh, nonprofits to try to see what we can do to uh, connect uh, our members uh, with uh, supplies of personal protective equipment. We're talking with Brock Slayball with the National Rural Health Association. Brock, as we have different states and different communities within states reopening, and so you, we have kind of a moving scale here, uh, does that is that reflective of what's happening with rural health care as far as where hot spots may be occurring? Yeah, so that's a great question, Mike. Uh, we're seeing uh, the outbreak of COVID-19 infections in pretty high numbers in places that um, have uh, one or more of these three things. Uh, first is uh, prisons. So in Marion County, Ohio, where there's a large prison, we're seeing a pretty large community outbreak. Uh, then the other is meatpacking plants. And then third, w- when there is an outbreak, it generally is impacting uh, long-term care uh, units. And so we're seeing uh, long-term care facilities around the United States uh, particularly hit hard uh, with this. And, of course, we know that the virus is uh, really um, very disastrous because it targets, of course, uh, those that uh, are uh, elderly, 65 and above, with underlying health conditions, and so uh, that's what creates the um, uh, the, out- the problem with nursing homes. But with meatpacking plants, of course, we find a- many of those all in rural communities, and uh, uh, that's a- another uh, um, situation that we're monitoring. We know coming into this crisis, we were already losing several rural hospitals every year. Are we? L- seeing more close now, or do you think this will cause more to close? Uh, yes, Mike. That's uh, uh, We've seen four rural hospitals close since the start of the pandemic in uh, late uh, March of this year, and um, two or three of them have claimed that it's because of the pandemic and uh, the situations that led to their closure kind of accelerated that. Um, I'm not sure that it caused it because uh, the circumstances under which these facilities were doing poorly certainly pre-existed the pandemic, but um, it was that that kind of uh, pushed over the edge of these facilities. So we're monitoring that right now, and we're trying to get uh, technical assistance to hospitals that are in need of of, uh, assistance to keep their doors open. I'm guessing that the percentage of Hospital, rural hospitals that close, the percentage of them coming back open is very low. Yeah, I think uh, I think that once they've closed, uh, we like to say in our world that uh, uh, rural health care is like Arctic tundra. Once you step on it, it's gone. And so we're seeing when hospitals close, their physicians leave. Uh, it's a cascade downward in terms of uh, the, the health care access for these patients. And so 
we're working very hard to keep that from happening. And uh, and I think some of the resources that uh, the administration has come uh, through with for us has been very helpful. Uh, Deputy Secretary Hargan, Secretary Azar uh, have been very, very efficient in getting money out to um, rural providers in the wake of this crisis. Are you seeking or hoping for more assistance in the next CARES Act that Congress is talking about? Uh, yes, we are, and I think that uh, that's one of the advocacy features that we're going to be uh, pursuing is in this CARES 4.0, as it's being styled, um, we want to make sure that rural providers continue to get uh, forgiveness, for example, on the advanced uh, and accelerated payment program that was uh, early on in the pandemic, um, and we want to get more targeted funding for those that have been severely impacted uh, particularly in communities that have had uh, high numbers of uh, COVID outbreaks in their service area. Big emphasis on testing. Now, I know some of the testing may go on in county health departments rather than at, at hospitals, but where are we with uh, more tests available to the public? Well, it's um, it's expanding. We're uh, ramping up testing capacity and uh, certainly uh, it is a lot more available than it was even a couple of weeks ago. Um, one of the efforts that we would like to see, and um, we're trying to organize uh, some uh, movements around, is not just testing, but how can we follow that up with contact tracing? Uh, that's one of the oldest uh, public health activities uh, that's, uh, that's still used today to, uh, to track patients and their contacts so that uh, Rather than all of us quarantining in place, uh, sheltering in place, uh, we can get to a point, hopefully soon, where we're only asking those that have come into contact with someone infected uh, stays sheltered in place. And if we could get to that point, I think we could all be feeling a lot safer in going out and um, uh, regaining and restoring the activities that we had before this uh, pandemic began. As bad as it is, some of the numbers have not been quite as bad as some of the models had had projected. In rural America, how would you describe the situation as far as what at one time was projected or expected? Is it better than maybe we thought or, or about what you were expecting? Well, it's interesting, Mike. That's a great question. Uh, when you when you look at national data and you uh, say take out New York City, which of course was the, where the largest outbreak occurred, uh, concentrated at least, um, we find that in the rest of the country uh, we're having a slight increase in the number of infections uh, spreading. Um, the New York City is declining, thankfully, um, but the rest of the country is increasing a slight bit. Um, we're seeing some places like uh, western Kansas and west, southwestern Kansas and uh, rural western Oklahoma, uh, their um, case rate per 100,000 uh, has exceeded the case rate uh, per 100,000 of the city of New Orleans. So, again, I'll go back to this. We're seeing a large parts of the country that's not being impacted or impacted by this, but then we're seeing places like like western kansas it is hmm. all right scott uh, brock i'm sorry brock thank you for the update and we appreciate you taking time to keep us up to date on these things we'll stay in touch thank you very much thank you mike mm-hmm. all right 
Brock Slaybaugh, Senior Vice President, Member Services for the National Rural Health Association. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Farmers can't choose the weather, trade policy, or market prices, but they can choose the most advanced dicamba with confidence. Ingenia Herbicide has the lowest volatility of all dicamba salts for more successful on-target applications. And it's straight from the dicamba experts, BASF. So make the confident choice for your soybean crop. Talk to your BASF rep or authorized retailer. Ingenia Herbicide is a U.S. EPA restricted-use pesticide. Additional state restrictions may apply. Always read and follow label directions. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. And happy to have back with us Nick Giordano, Vice President and Council Global Government Affairs for the National Pork Producers Council. Nick, good to talk with you again and hope you are well. Um, We're starting to see meatpacking plants that have been closed, uh, coming back online, maybe not at the same speed as they were before, but at least starting to, to get going again. Are are you hopeful this is a sign we can start working through the backlog now? Well, we sure hope so, Mike. Um, the uh, the president triggering the Defense Production Act was a really big deal, something that the National Pork Producers Council pushed very hard for, worked along with the other meat and poultry groups. And um, most of the plants now are, if not, I, I believe, all of them, are back on stream, but we're not operating at a hundred percent capacity and we probably won't be for some time. Now, obviously we hope we get back to a hundred percent capacity soon, but the reality is even though the closed plants have been opening and again, we're very appreciative to the president and secretary Purdue, vice president Pence for making that happen. Um, these plants are at reduced capacity. And so we, um, we've we got a huge backlog of hogs, which likely is going to get bigger. Nobody knows for sure. And PPC is, you know, constantly talking with others, looking at the numbers. But we've got a, we've got a huge problem here. Not only do we have very depressed prices for hogs, which are moving through the food chain and where there is shackle space in these plants, you know, the animals that, that are making it in the form of pork to the dinner table, those prices are depressed for, for producers. But then we've got this other stream of animals, which unfortunately are having to be euthanized and where producers are going through not just the financial pain, but the emotional angst of having to put these animals down, it's really unprecedented. It's a huge problem, and it's great that the plants are moving back on stream, but we are still very much in the middle of a huge crisis. How do you describe or uh, how do you feel about the government response as far as assistance to the pork industry so far as we still wait for some details on what's been announced and what are you still needing and hoping for moving forward well as i said the administration triggered the defense production act which which was huge and really it's it's just making sure that the state and local governments are working um, in tandem with the federal government 
and that it's the CDC and OSHA guidelines that are being approved and not and and being followed and administered, not something different. It gives priority to the meat industry as critical infrastructure. So that's really helpful. That was very responsive. But we need money in the hands of producers. I mean, this is um, this is the worst thing that's ever happened to hog farmers in the United States. They need a lifeline. Um, the the uh, the CARES package. So that was the third COVID package, which was approved by Congress a while ago and signed by the president. The um, the regulations, as we understand it, are over at ONB. They're imminently going to be out. Hopefully, that gets some money into producers' hands. Where MPPC is hard at work, though, in the context of the CARES 2 package um, to get money. We want to get money for, um, we want to get compensation to producers for, for the hogs that are being euthanized. I mean, not only are they getting no value, but then there's the cost of euthanization, the cost of disposal. So um, we're working very hard. I, I wish that um, we've already, you know, that we had been successful in getting money to producers. We haven't. I think as people understand the machinery of government, even in the crisis, doesn't move as fast as all of us would like. But um, I want to assure producers that we're leaving no stone un- unturned and MPPC staff understand what a, a horrible, horrible situation the industry is in. We're talking with Nick Giordano with the National Pork Producers Council on the issue of payment limits, which I know ag groups have said these need to be uh, higher to really help. And even Senator Grassley yesterday, who, of course, is a big advocate of tighter, stricter uh, payment limits, he acknowledged the need for uh, higher limits in this case, although expressed the concern that many have as you lift those uh, restrictions to allow more money to go to producers and the money goes faster and it can't cover perhaps as many producers. Uh, So that is a huge issue with what assistance is available or should be available soon. Jewel, you're absolutely right, Mike. And, you know, some have speculated that maybe that was part of the reason for the stringent limitations because the, the, there wasn't enough money to go around. I, I don't know. That may or may not be the case. But there clearly needs to be more money appropriated. There have been a number of bills introduced to do that very thing. And um, I'm, I'm sure MPPC will have a lot of company. Uh, I know for sure the other the other farm groups are are working to get more money appropriated. It's just you know we've got a five line, and I, I know it's bad across agriculture, but you know we've got a five alarm fire here in among hog farmers where we've really just got to move, push the machinery of government a little bit quicker to get money into their hands. Meanwhile, Nick, we are um, moving pork to other parts of the world. The uh, The March numbers for exports uh, were good, and we'll see if they come down. It probably will come down some in April, but the March numbers were still good. Yeah, I mean, the United States has been the number one exporter of pork in the world for for some time, we're just a really 
um, efficient industry that produces a product in terms of safety and quality that's second to none. Um, and, you know, look, consumers in the United States and abroad, abroad have really, you know, enjoyed a, a really good product at affordable prices. And one of my big concerns, which I know is shared by you know many hog farmers and, and folks that work for and support hog farmers, is that um, if we don't get a lifeline and more government in- intervention, we may have a contraction. Um, you know, we we may lose a very significant number of hog farmers blow out some production, which is, you know, not, not tomorrow, not next month, but over time is going to result in higher consumer prices in the United States and, you know, potentially less exports. So it's, it's a traumatic time. Um, I can't stress enough the importance of the administration triggering the defense production act. Um, and it's humbling because hog farmers aren't used to asking the federal government for help, but we really are. We need more help. And, um, you know, if we don't get more help, I think there's going to be a contraction in the industry, which probably is going to mean, and this is really why it's important to ease off on the payment limitations, because we'll probably have contraction and more concentration and higher consumer prices. And nobody wants that. So we, um, we continue to push hard to, to, get, um, to get money into the hands of hog farmers. It is, it, it, it is an unprecedented time. How would you compare it to the crisis that hit the industry in the late 90s? Worse. I, I started, I left private legal practice in 95 and went to MPPC and started um, representing hog farmers then. And we didn't, we didn't have this many hogs backing up. Um, we were a very good industry back then, but now, you know, we're state of the art. We're the best pork industry, best hog farming sector in the world. And, um, you know, this is, this is a landscape changing event. And, um, you know, if there was ever a time for the government to come to the aid of hog farmers, this is it. And the sooner the better. I mean, right now is overdue, right? I mean, we're talking about producers yeah, losing money it, every day. Right. And and again, we we are appreciative that the president triggered the Defense Production Act. It's a big deal. And, um, and boy, uh, you know, as bad as it is today, if that hadn't happened and, you know, the federal government hadn't stepped in, um, we would not have all these plants um, and, and not just pork in, in the other meat and livestock sectors as well. We wouldn't be where we are today. So as bad as things are, they could have been worse. So that was a big deal. And I know, look, MPPC is in contact every day with the administration, um, with members of Congress and their staff. So people are people are trying. I don't want to give the, the wrong impression. It's it's just you know it it's not obviously it's not just hog farmers who are hurting, and uh, 
it's just difficult to get things done quickly, but we're trying our yeah. best. Nick, thank you for the update, and uh, we will stay in touch. We appreciate it. Take care. Thank you, Mike. Bye. Nick, bye. Nick Giordano, Vice President and Council, Global Government Affairs for the National Pork Producers Council. Up next, a look at planting conditions in the state of North Dakota. Stay with us on AOA. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. We continue to get our planting progress updates from around the country, and we note again that uh, as of Sunday, 67% of the corn crop planted and 38% of the soybean crop planted. And we've talked to farmers in several states where uh, they are well along with their planting, some done with corn, and many are close to half done with their soybeans that we have talked to. But uh, we know that's not the case in every state. The state of North Dakota, for example, uh, certainly still struggling to get the crops planted. And joining us now is Scott German. He is a past North Dakota Corn Council president. Scott, thank you for joining us. Uh, I know when you hear those numbers about the progress being made in other states, uh, you wish you you could, uh, uh, you know, have similar results. But uh, it just hasn't worked out that way for you with the weather this spring, has it? Yeah, boy, Mike, uh, it's definitely been a struggle up here in North Dakota. Uh, I think they're looking there yesterday afternoon. I think North Dakota corn uh, planting percentage is only like 7%. Uh, I think that's like 30-some percent behind our five-year average. So, yeah, it's uh, it's a real challenge up here in North Dakota trying to get the crop in the spring. Of course, in many cases, some farmers were still trying to get last year's crop out before they could put this year's crop in. Yeah, there's been more than one instance where you see a combine on one side of the road and a piece of tillage equipment or a planter on the other side of the road. So, yeah, there's there's definitely issues left from last spring, whether it's standing crop in the field or you know crop residue that didn't get worked or trying to fix you know ruts from uh, grain carts, combines, all that kind of things. But yeah, uh, it's it's definitely been a challenge up here, and it certainly doesn't help when the last couple nights we've had lows down in the low to mid twenties and you know cloudy and overcast skies. So. Yeah, it's uh, it's been a really str- real struggle up here. Yeah, you've been wet and cold, right? Yeah, like I said, the last couple of nights we've had lows down in the twenties, and mon- Sunday Monday highs only in the mid forties. Now, hopefully, the weather's supposed to straighten out here a little bit this week and warm up. But with this warmer weather, comes a couple chances of showers. So, hopefully, we can dodge them and, and producers can get out and get something planted here because. Uh, like I said, well, I think we're only like at 7% planted on corn. And North Dakota, for a vast majority of the counties, May 25th is the final plant date for crop insurance purposes. So as we, you know, move toward that date, I, I just don't see farmers pushing the envelope on late planted corn like they did last year. Now, you've been up in a plane and looking at things from above. What stood out to you? I mean, you, you can see water on the roads as you drive, you know, down county and township roads or state highways. But. You, you just don't really grasp the size and scope of this until you can get up in the air and, and how you see how this slough connects to that slough now and that slough is connected to that slough and now you can see why this road's underwater and, and there, there's sloughs connected for two, three, four miles that just kind of run run one from to the other to the next to the next. So it, it, it really is almost mind-boggling when you see uh, how much water there is that we're dealing with up here, at least in the south-central part of the state. Uh, 
I know as you go west, it gets drier. As you go north, it gets a little drier. But south-central part of the state here, we're, we're really fighting some water issues. Yeah, that perspective from above really does kind of show you how it, it all works, how it's all interconnected. Yeah, I mean, it just, just you know, if you get over a little hill, you can't see what's on the other side. But once you get up in the air, I mean, you know, you can see for, for miles and miles. And, yeah, there's just uh, just a lot of water. Of course, uh Scott, in your state, you have quite a diversity of crops, so it not only affects corn and soybean growers, but your other crops as well. Yeah, I mean, North Dakota's been you know, a leading spring wheat producer uh, for a number of years now. I mean, it's even a challenge for wheat producers for, you know, specialty crops, whether it's edible beans, peas, lentils, all that. I mean, it's just, it's just been a challenge to get anything done this spring, and, and you know, some of that's adverse weather from last fall still. Uh, hindering progress some of it's like i said just the cool wet weather and uh you know we had some snow in the central part of the state here last week six seven inches of snow so seems like once that ground gets snowing on it just takes forever to warm back so you think you're looking at more prevent plant acres in north dakota again this year yeah so usda has us pegged for i believe it's 3.2 million planted acres uh for the 2020 growing season and i mean less weather really straightens out here in the next week 10 days and then farmers are able to roll full steam boy i i hate to think what might might happen we you know maybe 30 percent prevent plant maybe as high as 50 percent on the on the high end but there's definitely going to be uh probably as much if not more prevent plant in north dakota as there was last year just simply given the fact all the issues that producers had with you know light test weight corn wet corn still trying to combine corn uh, you know, there's there, there's just a whole lot of things stacked against us right now to to push that final planning date. Wow, Scott, thank you for the update. We appreciate your time. I hope your weather uh, improves soon. Thank you. Yep, thank you, Mike. Have a good day. You too, North Dakota uh, past North Dakota Corn Council President Scott German on the conditions there in the state of North Dakota. Also, our Adams on Agriculture producer Kirsten Rawl was up in a plane yesterday taking a look at conditions. Kirsten, uh, ask you, uh, what stood out to you? What was it like uh, looking uh, from above at the conditions? Hi, Mike. Yeah, I, I did. I had the opportunity to actually go up with Hunter German, so Scott German's son, and we flew around like a good portion of Dickey County in that south central area of North Dakota. And like Scott said, there's just a lot of standing water and a lot of standing corn from last year as well. Um, he nailed it on the head when he said you just don't fully know the extent of it until you're up there. Um, just driving along the road and everything, you see um, the outskirts of a, of a field, but you really don't see the middle of a field. And I think that's what really, really stuck out to me was how many um, areas water was just sitting in a field. So, yeah, for sure. Yeah, tough situation. Uh, Kirsten, thanks. Uh, glad you had a, a chance to go up and take a look at it from above and appreciate uh, the report. Thank you. Yes, thanks, thanks, Mike. That's our AOA producer, Kirsten Rawl. So while the rest of the country are getting corn and beans planted and other crops planted, uh, right now it's a tough go in the state of North Dakota. All right, that wraps it up for today. Coming up tomorrow, we'll be taking a look at the latest WASDE numbers, also the latest ag equipment sales numbers, and more on the biofuels industry's call for uh, assistance during this crisis. That and more coming up tomorrow. Hope you'll join us. Be safe, everyone. Thanks for joining us here on Adams on Agriculture.